friends, my name is Emma. I am the founder and operator of Read Between the Vines, a curated book club subscription box featuring a weekly virtual book club, gourmet handmade chocolate, artfully written novels, as well as exclusive fine wines, teas, and coffees. Visit us at readbetweenthevines.ns on Instagram and Facebook to check out previous as well as future book boxes. To place your order, please visit readbetweenthevines.ca. I look forward to reading with you. Enjoy this episode of Bright Young Things. Cheers! That was like in unison. I'm sorry, (laughs) not to brag, but... Should I keep the clap in for the listeners? I would. That was so... like we've been coordinating <laughs> we practiced that clap for 15 minutes <laughs> hi Sophia how are you doing today Austin I'm wonderful how are you I am not too bad I got to go to the museum earlier today so I'm just still coming down from that high <laughs> I love it I was also in a museum today but for work the chicken museum <laughs> yes that's it that's the one <laughs> everybody who can't see Sophia has a fresh new haircut too I do, and so does Austin since the last time we recorded. Oh, yeah, I guess it's been a while since we've been back in the studio, hasn't it? Yeah, new hair, new <laughs> us, same old. Have you been reading anything new or exciting since our last little sit-down? Have I ever? I've been, like, tearing through physicals, which is actually really cool, because I had been just kind of plowing through audiobooks lately. Um, but it's been nice. So I read um, Lisa Lutz has her latest book out called The Accomplice, and I really like her. I just posted about it on her Instagram um it was really good what is that one about for people who aren't familiar that one is about so it's one of her standalones I kind of was introduced to her um through her series the Spellman Files uh or the I think it's just the Spellmans does it have anything to do with Sabrina the Teenage Witch no it doesn't actually I didn't (laughs) even make that connection until you said it (laughs) no but that's um a story about like a private detective in San Francisco and her really quirky family. And it's so good. It's like one of my favorite book series of all time. And so The Accomplice is a standalone novel. And it's about like two best friends who are like unusually close. And it follows their life from university to like, I think they're about 40. And there's a couple dead bodies in between. And you're left guessing about like what happened and who's who and what allegiances are where. It's really good. That sounds very interesting. Yeah, I recommend it. What about you, Austin? What have you been reading? My reading has continued to suffer since I've been back in school. I've been dabbling here and there. I've been trying to read um, a historical fiction called Confessions of a Young Nero by Mm -hmm. Margaret George. Oh, wow. Okay. Which is like a first-person retelling of Nero's story from his point of view, which is interesting so far. It's kind of a good follow-up to uh, Caligula, which we read on the pod a couple months ago. Yes. I'm not super far into it yet, but... It sounds good. With the rate I'm doing school, I'll probably be done in the next 12 to 14 months. Excellent. We love (laughs) that. Love to hear it. (laughs) Other than that, I've been trying to stay on top of doing audiobooks, but when I was working, it was a lot easier because I could listen to audiobooks on the bus and, like, call me back. So. I know. Gotta improvise and adapt and overcome. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. But one book that I have read all the way through is Drum Roll. Drum roll. <laughs> <laughs> Anthony and Cleopatra by Shakespeare. Woo! We live for plays on this podcast now. <laughs> it's who we are. So 
we meant to record this episode probably two months ago. Probably, I'd say. And I told Sophia at the time, I either really liked it or really hated it. And I'm going to wait until we record to tell which one it was. And I haven't told her since we originally planned to record. So, can I, I guess? Can I guess? Guess. guess. Okay, I'm going to guess you hated it. And here's why. Tell uh, me this why. Is, this is one of my favorite plays by Shakespeare. I absolutely love it. Um, I guess, like, when you're younger and you don't know a lot of, like, women in history, you really gravitate towards figures. So I was like, yeah, Cleopatra. Reading this as, like, an older person instead of, like, I think the first time, like, I would read the children's version with my dad. An and older person as in 24. <laughs> an ancient woman. <laughs> an ancient woman in 2022 with, like, a new perspective on, like, men writing women and, like, how female historical figures are remembered. So, like, that added a lot of layers that I'm excited to talk about. But reading it, I feel like all your faves, you, Austin, in particular, you specifically, (laughs) are written really poorly. And they're doing really bad things. And I don't know if you would like that because it kind of casts them in, like, this light of, like, oh, they're petty AF. Which, like, we can get into. But that's why I'm going to say you don't like it. I hate to say it, but you are wrong i liked it i liked it a lot i am shocked i think i I did almost the entire thing in one sitting what (laughs) i was not i feel like i have to recalculate everything i had so many like (laughs) like things planned to be like oh no but what about this but now i don't have to say that yeah it's definitely up there it's one of my favorite shakespeare plays Actually, I thought I've talked about reading it before, but I realized when I was reading, I was like, no, I've never read this before. Oh, my God. This is so great. We both (laughs) love it. Okay, I was not expecting that. I hope you didn't do all your prep expecting me to not like it. My prep is literally like four quotes from two months ago. (laughs) I also, if you want to recap, I took a shake or I took an Anthony and Cleopatra quiz, which I can give you after. I don't know if the listeners want to listen to me suffer through this quiz. <laughs> but I guess before we get into it, we'll just say, for anybody who's not familiar, the play tells the story of the Roman general Mark Antony and the Queen of Egypt, Cleopatra, and their affair in Egypt, which interferes with Antony's um, responsibilities as one of the leaders of the new Rome after Julius Caesar was killed in the preceding play, Julius Caesar. Can we just say Antony, chef's kiss, one of Shakespeare's hottest heroes. Let's just say it right now. This is one of his steamiest. Top five. <laughs> Top five. I, yeah, when I was younger, you know how, like, everyone has those, like, cartoon characters that they had crushes on? For me, it was this drawing of Antony in the children's Shakespeare book that my dad used to read to me all the time. I was like, when I'm older, I'm going to marry him. And now it's like, can we get a costume for Henry to wear to match this look? I don't know. We're going to have to look into it. How does Henry feel that his competition is a cartoon from a children's book? Um, I don't know. I think Henry has feelings about um, fictional characters that I tried to have him cosplay as. Just for Halloween and such. You know, just for like special occasions. A birthday. I don't know if people are looking for ideas for their anybody's birthday. It doesn't matter whose birthday. Just let us know. We'll have Henry dress up for us. It's Austin's birthday. He'd like you to dress up as Antony. That's what he said. <laughs> That's what he told me. My cousin's birthday is in June, if you want to, like, get him dressed up for that. Special event. <laughs> yeah, we should do that. I'm going to 
I'm going to lobby for that. Um, I'm so surprised that you liked it. And pleasantly so. <laughs> this is great news. Uh, there were some parts that I wasn't a fan of, obviously, like with any piece of literature. Yeah. But I, I talked about my history with the play. I want to know a little bit about yours with you. So this is one you read when you were younger with your dad? Mm-hmm. So this is one uh, we definitely read when we were younger. And like, I feel like I look back on my childhood and my dad and my grandmother in particular would always really introduce me to classics, which was really funny because I don't know if they'd ever read them themselves. They just really kind of like, they were like, oh, you like reading. Let's encourage this, which I am so thankful to them for. Um, but yeah, I read it a lot when I was younger. I think it really kind of like built up my appreciation for tragedies and like just kind of understanding historically why things were so significant when they happened. Um, because you're reading through this play and it's like, one, we should definitely see it performed. It's so good. Um, I have some thoughts on that, which you can bring up later, but. Yeah, I feel like we say that every time we go through like a Shakespearean play, but like, it's so true. Like you have to see it performed to kind of like get the feeling. And I did that with some scenes in this, um, but I did want to say like, there were definitely parts where I was like, okay, like context historically, this was written by a man a long time ago and it's covering like, you know, a woman who is ruling Egypt. And there's a lot of parts where it like kind of tries to diminish the importance of like, you know, things she would do and it waters it down to like kind of make her sound petty. Like I wrote down some parts in particular where it was like um, Cleopatra was talking to someone who was supposed to bring her messages back so Antony gets sent back and he's um, forced to marry Octavia for like a political alliance to kind of appease people in Rome. Octavia being the sister of the young Caesar who was the adoptive son of Julius Caesar. Right. And so like it's talking about that and it's like Cleopatra's like, tell me about her. Like, well, uh, and she's <laughs> she's getting like info on Octavia, and the messenger's like, uh, she's got like brown hair. I mean, she's not tall. And Cleopatra's <laughs> like, ah, uh, yes. So she's short and ugly. It's <laughs> like, okay. I mean, like, <laughs> that's I me describing she... anybody in any given situation. <laughs> <laughs> she's not tall. So <laughs> if I ever have to go to the police station to identify, like a um. A, suspe- a suspect I'd never yeah. be able to do it like, can you describe the person uh, yeah. they had eyes there was some eyebrows involved I <laughs> <laughs> at least a couple teeth I think they I wore clothes the... <laughs> excellent there was a t-shirt I believe don't quote me um but yeah so I just thought that was like kind of something where it was like it really tried to water it down to make it sound petty and like I don't know how petty it actually was and I'm sure it does kind of look like that on paper but like you know there's that and then there's like one of my favorite quotes of all time where like Shakespeare is talking and Shakespeare (laughs) Cleopatra um he wrote her as saying like give me my robe I have immortal longings in me I love 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 that sentence I put it in like one of my poems from undergrad that I put in this thing And I have, like, the pin of it. I just think it's one of the most beautiful ways to, like, write something so dark and terrible. And it's like, she wants to die. Like, that's the whole thing. Like, she is so upset that, like, nothing worked out. She put her heart on the line because she loves Antony. And then, like, all of this stuff backfires. And she's, like, losing her place as queen. And it's just, like, wow. You know? I definitely have my opinions of the depiction of Cleopatra in this. Mm Mm-hmm. 
I found, like you said, a lot of it seems to be petty and a lot of it seems to be coming from, I wouldn't say a place of weakness, but there's a lot mm-hmm. of times where she uses like her feminine charm to try and get what she yeah. wants from people, especially Cleopatra, or especially from um, Antony, like faking, fainting yeah. spells and. Yeah. And it's like, I don't think that's what attracted him to her. I think what attracted him to her was the fact that like, she was so powerful and so smart. She doesn't need like little games to attract mm-hmm. him. He's never met anyone like her. No one has, especially in that time period. It's like unheard of, like the power she has. And in real life, she spoke multiple languages. She was so intelligent. She like, you know, was dealing with her family who, if you study like Egyptian dynasties, you know, it's like no joke to get to the rulership, like mm-hmm. status that she did. And not only that, she just like thrived in it and she did so many good things before everything went really bad. And so, you know, I just don't think that's an accurate depiction of what it would have been like. Is this something you've thought of, like, ever since you started reading the play, or is that more No. No, and I didn't really pick up on the, like, petty things when I was reading it as a child. You know what I mean? I feel like a lot of us feel that way where, like, we read classics or anything, really, that, like, we were exposed to as a kid and we just didn't pick up on, like, sexism. And now it's, like, so easy to point out that, like, well, of course Shakespeare wrote it like this. He can't understand it any other way because he's a white dude in, like, that time period. It's, you know, it doesn't make sense. So so I guess we'll keep talking about characters. Antony, yes. you said, is one of the, the steamiest characters Shakespeare wrote. One of the heartthrobs. We're really coming from his moment of glory at the end of Julius Caesar, defeating Caesar's murderers and becoming like one of the three sole rulers of the world. Do you think this is a good follow-up to his characterization in Julius Caesar? Yeah, I think so, because it like really shows the arc. And like, I don't know, I think he's such like a romantic character in general, not in like the swoon way, but just in like the, oh, like he's such a hero. You know what I mean? Like you're just rooting for him. And, like, he has, like, a heart of gold. And right now it's, like, he's being distracted. Like, we can't deny the fact that, like, obviously he's coming from, like, he was married. And so this is, like, kind of like a like a downfall for him. But, like, this is him in love. Like, this is him, like, infatuated at least. We don't know if it's love, but it is infatuation. And that's a really cool aspect to explore because, like, in other plays he's so noble. He's so noble. He's, like, you know, the voice of reason when everything is kind of crumbling. And you can you can always count on him to like have his heart on his sleeve and like be ready to like maybe not defend people, but that speech he makes where he's like being so open and vulnerable and honorable. It's like, oh, now here he is in this. And like, what does this mean for us? Like, this is a whole new aspect Mm -hmm. to him. What I find interesting is I don't want to tear down your image of Mark Antony, Mm -hmm. but Shakespeare's depiction of him could not be further from the truth from how he was in real life. I know. <laughs> in real life, he was a drinker, he was a brawler, he was a womanizer. Is it wrong to say we love a bad boy? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I just spent like 10 minutes being like, the literary representation of him is so noble. And now I'm like, can we have it all? But so yeah. would you consider um, marketing to be the MVP of the play to you? Or do you no. think that more to be Cleopatra? I think it would be Cleopatra because... To be honest, half of the time that you're reading this, when we get, like, shoutbacks to Rome, I'm like, I don't care, personally. I'm sorry. That's, like, such a mean thing to say in your presence. <laughs> it's not that I don't care. It's just that, like, I'd rather... Sophia just gave me a verbal slap to the face. <laughs> Austin just held up a sign that said, I'm disowning you as a friend. <laughs> you didn't see it, but he said it with his eyes. Um, 
but like I just want to hear more about Egypt I want to hear more about like the politics going on in her court I want to hear more about like I just think she's so fascinating and like the fact is is that they're all scrambling over there to try to like fix what she's wrecking and I like that I like it a lot what about interesting I found the opposite I found all like the political machinations on the Rome side to be a lot more interesting than the Egypt side because you have the three-way split of power between Caesar, Antony, and Lepidus. You have mm-hmm. the war with um, Sextus Pompey mm-hmm. in the in the east. So I found that a lot more interesting. A lot does happen off stage, interestingly, mm-hmm. which is something I was thinking about if this were to be performed live. This is one of his least popular or less popular ones, so I haven't seen as many performances of it. But even like the battle between Antony and Caesar at the end is a big naval battle. I would assume that would all be largely off stage. I would assume so. Like a lot of it seems to be focused on like the reactions to what's happening. Like you don't get to see the actual events. We just hear about people discussing them, which I think is almost more interesting because you're not seeing the truth of what happens. You're just seeing everyone's perspective and that makes it so much murkier. And I like it in this case. Sometimes I don't like that, but it's just so enjoyable to like read. I gotta say, I like the dynamic between Antony and Cleopatra, but I gotta give the MPV, M- MVP to my boy Caesar. <laughs> Caesar, of course, I'm not surprised. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's just such a good play. And I also think like Cleopatra's like ladies in waiting, like they're like super loyal. Like there's again that theme of like loyalty and honor that like even though they're doing like bad things or like things that aren't morally 100% upright, like there's just so much to explore there. And I, I'm fascinated because the allegiances and the loyalties are like not like an anti-hero, but like it's just, you know, it's just murkier and it's like, when you're surrounded by all these games and people trying to sabotage you all the time, it's natural, I think, that you would, like, form loyalties to people in different ways. You know what I mean? That's an interesting contrast with Antony's supporters. I'm trying to remember the name of the one. Anna Barbas is the one who sticks oh. them most. And then they each kind of abandon him one by one as they see that the cause is lost and Antony's not coming back. Yeah. But then actually Anna Barbas sees the Arab's ways and ends up taking his own life, which is very similar to um, Cleopatra's supporters at the end. Right. It's just so interesting. Mm -hmm. So we're talking about the popularity of the play compared to things like obviously Julius Caesar, Romeo and Juliet. Why do you think this one's not as popular like to be performed? I think you're right when you say like you can't actually see the action and a lot of like Shakespeare's other plays. I feel like this is not saying that this one isn't. But the other ones rely so heavily on, like, just dialogue between characters and, like, witty situations and, like, laughs. This is not a funny one. And it's not as, like, you know, I would say it's as romantic as Romeo and Juliet, but, like, people don't. I was going to say, hot take, I think this was a more romantic tragedy than Romeo and Juliet. I agree. Hard (laughs) yes. I agree. High five through the screen. High five. High five (laughs) listeners. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I 100% agree. And I think, like too like there's a level of tragedy in it that like Romeo and Juliet like their tragedy is different because they're so young it's such a wasted opportunity but like for Antony and Cleopatra they're not young they're not spring chickens they've led like incredible lives and they've been present for like such incredible historical events that that to me makes it like almost just as sad you know what I mean like 
they're legendary figures. Picture what they would have accomplished if they had lived longer. So I want to talk about some of the tragic elements of the play. It's clear what Antony's fatal flaw is in the literary sense of it. It's choosing his love for Cleopatra over his responsibility as like a politician in general. Do you think Cleopatra has a similar tragic flaw or she's just kind of forced into a situation and just has to play the hand she's dealt? I don't know. I think like with any great figure, like you think of like Alexander the Great, Napoleon, whatever. Once you like accomplish so much and you conquer so many things and you're so smart and you're used to having like yes people around you, isn't it, is it not like the traditional thing where you just get too confident and then you slip up? You know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. So do you think her fatal flaw would have been falling in with Antony or? Yeah, I think like probably going too hard for something that like she thought she could maneuver out of. And then in the end, it just didn't work out, which like that happens to all of them. I mean, I can't think of a historical figure who didn't have that happen. Mm-hmm. Are there any other standout moments in the play that really spoke to you? Um. I thought it was like, again, this is not something new to us, but like when all the guys in Rome are like, yeah, that'll solve the problem. Let's marry him off to your sister. Check. I was like, yes, what a good idea. (laughs) (laughs) I know you said this play isn't one with a lot of jokes, but there is one scene I found hilarious where the three leaders of Rome, Antony, Caesar, and Lepidus all come together to form an, like to start out their issues. Uh-huh. So they all have a banquet at the end, and the one, the weakest member of the um, the triumvirate or the the power of three gets super drunk to try and get okay. everybody partying, and he starts mispronouncing words which are included in the play, like he talks about the pyramids of Egypt. And oh God! He's stumbling, and everybody's laughing at him. I found that part hilarious. Okay, that's good. I completely <laughs> forgot about that part. I'm not gonna lie to you. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. That's the thing. Like, I feel like in this play, you get a glimpse of, like, all these people who are supposed to be very heroic and very, like, noble and, like, Rome over everything and, like, Rome for life. Picture me saying that in, like, a frat bro voice. Like, Rome for life, dude. Like, you know what I mean? And now they're in Egypt and they're just, well, not all of them, but in some scenes, now they're in Egypt and they're just living it up. It's like they're on vacation. They're like, Rome who? Like, haven't heard of her. (laughs) And, like, that's interesting, too. I think that, like, You know, I don't love Shakespeare's representation of Cleopatra all the time in this, but I do respect the fact that, like, he did take, like, male characters as well and, like, reduce them to petty levels. Do I think he would have done that if this was, like, a play just about guys and with no love in it? No. But I respect that, like, at least both were. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah, the allure of the East is a major theme of the play, Mm -hmm. which I'm assuming because... Um, readers of Shakespeare or watchers of Shakespeare's plays when the plays actually came out would have been a lot more um, recognizable or been able to recognize the like the kind of social structure of Italy compared to Egypt a lot more. Yeah. So it would be like a, good, a good commentary on it at, in the time when it was produced. Yeah, definitely. That's a good point. I think it's so interesting, like, the multiple lenses that we have to look at it through because he wrote about so many different places but like it's a very like it's colonialism like he not that Cleopatra wasn't also colonial like she was Greek so like 
it's kind of entrenched in so many layers that you have to look yeah, at it through. Yeah, I'm sure for the average person in Elizabeth and England and like Egypt and the East would be super exotic oh, and yeah. tempting to the person who doesn't know it, which is something which is represented on the Roman side of the play. Yeah, definitely. I think like there's a lot of like probably Shakespeare wasn't thinking of it even, but like a lot of like fetishization of like Roman soldiers going over there and like having a party and doing whatever they're doing. So now that we've kind of covered some of the bases, do you want to try and take a brief quiz on Antony and Cleopatra? <laughs> I'm going to tell you right now, I know like two characters' names. And you can guess which two. <laughs> the only two Charmaine I Charmaine and Iris? Yep. That's it. <laughs> Those are my gals. I'll make you a deal. For every question you get right, you'll okay. have one centimeter over me in height. For every one you get wrong, I get one centimeter over you in height. Excellent. <laughs> I can't wait. Okay, question one. In the play's opening scene, why did the Roman soldiers follow Antony? Follow These me? are also, these are um, multiple choice. Do you want me to read out the answers or just correct your own guess? Yeah, read them okay. out. In the play's opening scene, why did the Roman soldiers fault Antony? He is overly ambitious and plans to divide the Roman state by waging war against Caesar. His cowardice in battle has resulted in the loss of valuable sea trade routes to Pompey. His excessive fondness for Cleopatra threatens to compromise his duties as a Roman statesman. An irresponsible drinker, Antony has often treats his subordinates disrespectfully. Not the last one you said, but the one before. Yes, his excessive fondness for Cleopatra threatens to compromise his duties as a Roman statesman. You know why I knew that? Remember, I got, listeners will know, when we talked about Caligula a few episodes back, there was the one guy in it who was just like, Rome over everything. And he kept saying it. He was like, my allegiance is... Who's, you know what I mean? Yes. The guy, yes. You can say it much more eloquently than I, clearly. It's, I'm trying to remember his name. Isn't it like her husband, Lavilla's husband? Yes. And he's like, my loyalty is to Rome. But he keeps saying it in this really specific way. And he keeps highlighting that, like, above all else. Well, that was a big plot point in Julius Caesar. It was not that I love Caesar less, but that I loved Rome more. True. So this is kind of the opposite in um, Mark Antony to Caesar. Or to yeah. Brutus, I mean. Yeah. But they both, they both wind up being their downfall, which is very interesting. That is. Okay, next question. Okay. How does Antony re- react to the news of Fulvia's death, Fulvia being his first wife who he starts to play with? He regrets having wished her dead and wishes her back. He <laughs> weeps uncontrollably. He chastises Cleopatra for keeping him from his true family. The news <laughs> does not phase him. Doesn't he... He weeps, right? He weeps uncontrollably. That is... Incorrect. Uh, does he, he curse regrets, Cleopatra? He regrets having wished her dead and wishes her back. Shoot. <laughs> On upon leaving Egypt, what does Antony send Cleopatra as a gift? A golden comb, a pearl, a snake-shaped bracelet, or a cask of fine wine? I want to say a snake-shaped bracelet, but I think it's a pearl? It is a pearl. (laughs) Also, can I say that, like, when Cleopatra calls for him and she's like, where is my serpent of the Nile? I was like, if someone doesn't call me that by the end of my life, have I even lived? (laughs) Like, I want to be that. What a Put that in your resume. <laughs> Sophia, Serpent of the Nile. Yeah, that's <laughs> what is badass. It? Stu- student of life, Serpent of the Nile. <laughs> <laughs> and 
and everyone's like, you're immediately fired. You're immediately fired. <laughs> you're, not even, you're not even hired yet, and you're fired you're already. just fired. <laughs> <laughs> what solution is Agrippa opposed to establish peace between Caesar and Antony? Antony should make a public apology for neglecting his duties to the empire. Antony should marry Caesar's sister, Octavia. Antony should turn over a portion of his kingdom to Caesar. Both men should drink heartily and forget the past. The drink heartily sounds very Roman. I was going to ask, if it's not <laughs> the actual answer, do you think that would have worked? Yeah, probably. <laughs> I feel like a lot of solutions to their problem, well, a lot of causes and solutions to the problem were probably them drinking way too much. <laughs> Let's be real. That's a Simpsons quote. To alcohol, the cause of, a, cause of and solution to all of life's problems. Oh, Lord. <laughs> Uh, oh, I don't know if I actually answered. Sorry. <laughs> you, you did not. <laughs> we were both just like sitting there like, so. Um, I think it was something to do with Agrippa saying. I'm going to say just the drinking thing. It is that he suggests Antony should marry sister's, Caesar's sister, Octavia. Oh, right. Oh, I knew that. Ugh. I don't test well. <laughs> Cut that out. But uh, <laughs> Why, according to the soothsayer, should Antony leave Rome? As long as Antony remains in Rome, his fortune will be overshadowed by Caesar's. Caesar is plotting with Octavia to take Antony's life. Cleopatra will make life miserable for him, for him unless he returns to her. Antony's new devotion to pleasure has compromised his military might, and he will surely be defeated in a battle with Pompey. Like... Sometimes all of the answers sound right, and I, okay, is it, is it because he's compromised? Is that it? No. He's not. As uh, long as Antony remains in Rome, his fortune will be overshadowed by Caesar's. So weird. Many other things that should have taken priority to that. And I don't think either of us are keeping track of any points you're winning, so let's just say that. Excellent. Let's just say that I'm not doing well so far, yeah. How does Cleopatra react to the news that Antony has buried Octavia? She faints. She sends a letter to Antony. She sends Antony a letter demanding that he never return to Egypt. She beats her messenger, then orders him to go and size up the competition. She courts Caesar in hopes that she will destroy Antony. She beats her messenger. Yes. That I remember. Not cool. Not a good move. I'm going to skip over some more over some more of the technical ones. Okay. What does Cleopatra contribute to Antony's battle with Caesar? A fleet of 60 ships, an army of 10,000 soldiers, an amulet to protect Antony in battle, or a golden dagger? The ships. Yes. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> I can't think of another instance... At least, like, I haven't read that much Shakespeare in comparison to you, but I can't think of another instance where there's, like, a nautical battle. Like, does the yeah, Tempest? I I no. Think... I think they're just sure. traveling on a ship, right? They're not actually fighting anyone. So I can't Which think of something it. I find interesting. I'm, I wonder if they would have sound effects off screen conveying that it's a naval battle or just have the aftermath. I think like they just have the aftermath because they don't show the battle in the play. Mm-hmm. Like, they don't talk. They just talk about after. But, like, I've heard that our dear friend of the podcast, Cleo, has actually gone to the Globe Theatre in England, and she said the acoustics were actually pretty good. Hmm. So I'm sure they could have done something. Yeah, I'm wondering how they would have made the stage look like a ship at sea, which is the yeah. aftermath. Okay, how does Antony react to Cleopatra's first flight from battle? 
He thanks the gods for battle is no place for a woman. He follows her and leads his troops in a retreat. He praises her assessment of the situation. He admits to Anna Barbas that she is an unworthy object of affection. Doesn't he follow her in retreat? He does. Yeah. That I remember. What is your opinion on that scene when Cleopatra helps lead troops into battle against Caesar and then almost immediately turns tail and leaves? I mean, like, like, part of me wants to be like, oh, like, she realizes that this is a mistake and it's not worth her people being put at risk. But it's probably more like she got swept up and it was like, not my man. And she was like, you think this is a game? Let me show you. And then she was like, oh, no. <laughs> and then she was like, we have regrets. And then she just, <laughs> you know, it's like me in any given situation. <laughs> <laughs> OK, what does Antony request of Caesar after losing the battle to him to be publicly vilified for his cowardly behavior, to be judged fairly by a jury of his peers, to be allowed to live in Egypt with Cleopatra, to be allowed to turn be allowed to return to Rome and resume his marriage to Octavia. Could you say the first one again? Sorry. To be publicly vilified for his cowardly behavior. That one? Right? No. It is to be allowed to live in Egypt with Cleopatra. Oh, shoot. On the night before his fight with Caesar, what sign of bad fortune do Antony's soldiers encounter? A full moon, a black cat, strange music, or a man with no legs? Full moon, a black cat, a man with no legs. Or strange music. Or strange music. I don't remember. Is it? No, I don't remember. It's strange music. Is it? Yes. Strange music. Gosh. That would have been weird if it was a man with no legs. Like I know. That's why I was like, that's so weird and random. Would it be that? And I couldn't remember. <laughs> this man has a disability. We're going to lose the battle tomorrow. Like, I mean, honestly, though, with the way people paint people. <sighs> that is true. In the olden lit. What does Charmian suggest that Cleopatra do in order to quell Antony's anger against her? Publicly denounce Caesar? Send him word that she has killed herself? Write him a love letter or leave Alexandria. Doesn't she tell her? She either says. Mm. I feel like she. Okay, Charmaine tries to keep the peace, right? Or does she like try to be like rely on your feminine wiles, quote unquote? <laughs> I would think like feminine wiles would be like batting your eyelashes and baking a pie. But in this play, it seems to be pretend to kill yourself. I don't know. <laughs> like, it's that one, yes. Okay. <laughs> That's what I thought, but I wasn't sure. That's where a lot of my contention for Cleopatra's character comes from, because in real life, she was a really skilled like political maneuverer. Yeah. And you don't really get a sense of that in this. It's all kind of no. ma- emotional manipulation to get like what she it, wants. Yeah, it either, like, it tries to, like, sexualize her or, like... Be like, oh, this is what girls do, lol. And it's like, not lol. You know what I mean? Like, she was very smart and very skilled. And it doesn't really do that justice, I think. Okay, we'll do one more question and we'll kind of think of our closing thoughts of the play. Exciting. What does Caesar intend to do with Cleopatra after Antony's death? Marry her, keep her on display in Rome, kill her, or send her into exile? Display in Rome. Correct. Check, check. What a nightmare. Is, who knows? Who knows and who cares? Everybody's a winner when it comes to Shakespeare. Final score is good enough. Good enough. (laughs) 
also like that's the most like grueling punishment for a proud person you know what i mean to be kept captured is almost like worse than death that's why i think she chooses death right that's why suicide was such a a big alternative to loss all about that honor oh boy so i just wanted to kind of talk about the legacy of the play before we wrap up all right obviously the play's image of cleopatra is the one that's become popularized in Mm -hmm. the last couple centuries obviously like those with Taylor's Cleopatra. I'm trying to think of other ones. It's mainly that one. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. What do you think about that? Like how that's kind of shaped the way people think about this historical figure now? I think it's like, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head. Like it's definitely like a perception that is stuck with us and it's permeated the culture. Like you think about like even the Liz Taylor film, right? Where she's Cleopatra. Like, it's just a very, like, like, it sticks with history, but again, it's another, like, female historical figure who's, like, painted in a very, like, I don't know, like, coquettish way, and it's, like, really, like, played up. And, like, I think she was beautiful for her time, but I also think that, like, it kind of takes away from the fact that, like, there was so much more there, and I don't know if it's a good thing to be just remembered, or, you know what I mean? Like, how does your cultural memory get like morphed through different, you know, retellings by men? Mm-hmm. And what does that mean for you later on? Like, am I happy that there's a figure that has survived that is very popular? Yeah. But I wish like we had. It's definitely a double bladed sword. Like it is good that Cleopatra's had this popular imagination and conception for the last however many centuries, but it is unfortunate that kind of minimized a lot of her political and cultural strengths. Yeah. Yeah, that sums it up really nicely. That's a really great way to say it. I agree. What about you, Austin? What are you thinking? I wish this play got more attention. Like, I'd like to see a, like, big budget adaptation of this. I definitely think it's coming. There's been so many remakes lately. Well, I mean, like, for the past, like, what, decade and a half, there's been a ton of remakes. And I Mm -hmm. think it's only a matter of time. Um, Because I'm pretty sure there's one with Gail Gadot. Gadot? Being made. Oh, I did hear about that. Was that the adaptation of the play, or is that just a Cleopatra I think biopic? You know, I'm not sure, actually. I haven't heard much about it. Um, but I think there's so much room for that. Like, I think that it's really great. Mm. So. That's very interesting. I think so. I think on that note, that's a good spot to end on. We'll see you guys next week. Yeah. Thank you for chatting. Thank you for listening, everybody.